From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Daniel. And on today's episode, we are going to tackle the superpower of business agility. Now, I haven't been speaking about Agile all that much on these episodes, so I thought it was about time that we brought in a world expert on the topic. In this episode, I've got the amazing Evan Laybourne, who is the CEO and co-founder of Business Agility Institute. And in this episode, I get to speak to Evan all about what does this term actually mean? I hear business agility being branded about a lot in the Agile community, but I really wanted to understand what is the definition of this term. And we talk about some of the interesting case studies that Evan's come across in his many years of experience. I also put the question to Evan about how do we measure business agility? Is there a magic formula? Is there some form of maturity assessment that we can use? And the other thing I was really keen to know from Evan was how can we make a success of business agility? Because many of us are on some form of agile transformation and we're probably seeing a lot of issues within the organization that are preventing us from getting towards our goals. And so again, based on his many years of experience, I was really keen to understand what are his real big tips for someone who's in that situation. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. And before we jump in, can I just make a small request? If you're enjoying the content on the Superpower School podcast, then please could you subscribe and even put down a rating or a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching this episode on. Podcasting can be a very lonely process. So I'm always excited whenever I see someone reach out either directly or when I see some of those reviews appearing on these platforms. It just gives me some hope that what I'm doing is actually making a difference. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. So Evan, we've got to delve into this. I was asking you just before we kicked off, how does one set up an institute like the one that you have? So yeah, I'd love to know the story behind that. So I've been talking business agility for years. And for the listeners who don't know, business agility has its heritage in agile, but it is its heritage is not what it is. It's, this is a business focus. But I was talking in an agile conference in India of all places, Agile India in Bangalore, Bengaluru. And I remember I've been talking business agility since, I don't know, 2008, 2009, and this was 2016. So like eight years later, and I remember looking out over these sea of like smiling and nodding faces, people going, this is fantastic. We need this. And I just remember this, this moment of just like head in hands going, none of you can do anything about this. And you're, it, not because you can't, because your organizations won't listen to you. Your organizations won't have, won't be able to do anything. And so I remember sitting down with a Canadian coach 
and just lamenting just the challenges that were facing us. And she just went, well, why don't you create a business agility conference? It's like, you know what? That's a damn good idea. I'm going to do that. So basically on the back of a dare, I put on a conference, which, and this is an entirely different story, which involved many late nights and nearly going bankrupt because this was just Evan as a private individual putting on a very expensive conference from Singapore in New York City. Could not have designed it worse if I tried, but eventually, after many sleepless nights, selling out and discovering that there was this movement that I rather arrogantly assumed that I would know 80% of the people there, that I'd been talking business agility for at this point, what, eight, nine years. I just assumed that I knew what was going on. I knew maybe 20%. We had delegates from Ghana, from Jamaica, from Portugal, companies I'd never heard of doing things that I only dreamed were possible. And this sort of created this spark of inspiration between myself and my co-founder, Dr. Ahmed Sidki, to go, well, maybe, maybe there's as a community here, maybe there's something that if we just create an anchor, something that they can hook around and be a part of, we can make this concept explode. And hence the Institute was formed, all formed basically from a dare in drinking tea, chai in a conference in India. Oh my God. That's amazing. What a story. I think that's one to tell the grandkids one day when you're sat there and they're on their virtual reality headsets and everything else <laughs> and say, guess what I did? <laughs> and that would be a great one. So Evan, I'm conscious we probably have some listeners who are either just starting off on their journey with Agile and some seasoned practitioners as well, who might be thinking, I hear a lot of people talking about business agility, enterprise agility, like what are these terms and what do they really mean? I'd love for you to break that down for us. So let me give you the definition of business agility. So business agility is organizational behaviors, capabilities, and ways of working. It's not practices. It's not processes. It's not what you do. It's how you act. It is these behaviors and capabilities that enable or afford your organization the freedom the flexibility and the resilience to achieve your purpose, not to make money, not even to thrive in uncertainty or to meet customer demands, but fundamentally to achieve your purpose as an organization, which and it may be controversial is not to make money. Your purpose is to serve your customer. Your purpose is to serve a, a greater, like the customer of the environment, if you're not for profit or something like that, you will make money the better you serve your customer. So profit is not the goal. Profit is an indicator that you're achieving your purpose effectively. But then there's the magic six words, no matter what the future brings. And that I think is the key to business agility. If you can achieve your purpose, if you can behave and act in a way that you can achieve your purpose, no matter what the future brings, you have business agility. And we are talking here at a business organizational level. In a technology space, agile, agile, as a set of values and principles and practices and frameworks that enable the development and delivery of products. Very good. 
But that is not enough because as organizations get more agile, as those product teams get more agile, the constraints, the limitations to agility move beyond those product teams. It doesn't matter if you're using Scrum, an agile practice, in a product team, and you can create a potentially shippable product increment every two weeks. If it's going to take you three months to get a hiring ticket to, to hire the right person, or nine months to get a budget change approved, or two months to get approval from the project control board, your constraint to agility is not in those product teams. And for most organizations, it's moved away from those product teams five to 10 years ago. In most organizations, the constraint to agility is the business. And so when we talk about business agility, we are talking around business level agility. And that's really where organizations start to shine. I've never heard anyone put it quite like that before. I've heard people say, oh, business agility is where we go beyond the technology teams and a bit of HR start doing agile and finance and marketing. And now we have a whole organization all doing agile stuff. But actually, there's more to it. But. When I first started, that's also where I started. And so what I would class that as is not business agility, but rather agile business, agile outside IT. And so when I first started back in around 2008, it was literally, I've got these product teams and now we want to take agile XP and scrum primarily at the time. And we want to take those methods as well as the value of the principles of the agile manifesto into business teams. And that was successful. And there's nothing wrong. It, it is a valid starting point, but it is just that. It's a starting point. I realized fairly early, so by about probably 2011, that to sustain that, you needed to create behavioral change, cultural change across an organization from the executives through to literally the rank and file. If And we saw this very clearly in at the beginning of COVID-19, those organizations that had, they'd been to the agile gym, they'd built that agile muscle memory in across the business were better able to adapt faster to those massive changes that were happening around the world. No one was prepared for the scale of the change that COVID-19 brought, but they had the muscle memory. They knew how to do it. And so it could be a shop. And those retail staff right, had the empowerment to make strategic decisions on the ground at the time. Software isn't even in sight. This has got nothing to do with software products. Those people in the shops with the empowerment, with the autonomy to make strategic and operational decisions fast right, were better able to respond to the fear and the uncertainty from their customers more so than those that had to wait for decisions to trickle up the chain of command and then back down the chain of command. Those organizations responded in months. Other organizations responded in, and I'm not exaggerating, minutes. And this was pretty clear at the beginning of the pandemic. Now, I will say one thing, because agility is not just for massive change like pandemics. It's for everyday change as well. The pandemic is just a pretty good example of Agility in action on mass. I remember the company I work for, 
they're not the biggest organization, but we still have a few thousand. And we literally had to pivot overnight. We're a big training organization and a lot of our courses weren't designed for virtual delivery. The whole business had to change direction very quickly. But I think what helped us was we were slightly smaller than maybe some of these big organizations. So we had less bureaucracy. And I think the spirit in the organization is quite entrepreneurial. So people really did understand the things that we needed to get done. And that brings me on to what would you say is the difference between business agility and enterprise agility? Or are they the same thing? This is actually an ongoing conversation at the moment. Official position in terms of definitions. The words business agility and organizational agility are synonyms. They are exactly the same thing. They have the same definition. You can replace one to the other. Some organizations like not-for-profits or government organizations don't see themselves as businesses and so don't like the word business agility and so prefer the word organizational agility. Now, the word enterprise is unfortunately a word that has lost all meaning. It has been used so many times by so many people to mean so many different things. And if I can be somewhat cynical, it basically means an extra couple of hundred dollars on your hourly rate. And that's usually what most people mean when they say they are an enterprise agile something. It just means more expensive. What officially um, we use the prefix enterprise, literally going back to its dictionary definition, and we just mean large at scale, on mass. So an enterprise agile coach is someone who is doing agile coaching at scale, on mass, across a large number of teams or functions. It doesn't refer to anything different about what they're doing, just at a different scale. Similarly, enterprise agile is agile, capital A, agile, agile product development at scale on mass. So we don't, and again, this is our definition and other organizations, other individuals will have different ones, but for us, it has, it's the word enterprise has been diluted so much in the market that it means nothing. It means everything. So it means nothing. (laughs) I think I can relate to some of that because I do hear a lot of consultants branding that term around, and that's probably where I've got it from. One thing I love about the Business Agility Institute is the great community work you guys do. I know you have meetups in different locations all happening. And one of my ex-colleagues used to run one of our local chapters as well. Addy used to run the local London chapter for us. And how important is community for the work that you do? And even as an agile practitioner, like, would you say people that are practicing Agile should really care about that aspect? Or is that more, if you're interested, come along and join in? It's an interesting question. No one's actually asked me that before. So for us, community is important. And it's important for a number of different reasons. First of all, I'm sitting here in Melbourne. I have no idea what the day-to-day challenges on the grounds for organization in London are now. I talk to people like Addy, I talk to our chapter leads in the UK, as well as in Vienna and Nigeria and Sao Paulo. So like, we have communities all over the world, but ultimately for us as an organization, the communities are a way to ensure that local concerns can be addressed locally. Now, whether 
a listener should care about the community. And obviously, I think that they should. But the community is there whether you care about them or not. And so if it becomes important, if you need that, hey, who's doing this? Who is doing business agility? Who's like, we're trying to do something in this stuff. Right? Yes, you can come and have a chat with me or come and speak to a, a large consulting firm. Or you can go and have a chat to folk in the local communities and go, who's solved this? And chances are someone has. And you can always have a, it's for the price of a coffee and sometimes they're the ones paying. You can have some really great conversations with some really clever people anywhere in the world. So I get a lot of people asking, can you give me an example of how Agile is being done successfully in a non-tech environment? And I know you guys publish a lot of case studies. So I'd love to hear some examples from you of where you've seen Agile being run really well and where people are really reaping the benefits of business agility. This podcast is about the superpower school. Right? And I would say that agility, adaptability is a superpower. I think that is, and I don't mean the practice, I mean the mindset. I mean the ability to face uncertainty, confident in the knowledge that you don't know what's going to happen, but you do know how to respond to it and not react, right? not just panic and do the next thing that needs to be done, but actually quickly, but considered, that's not quite the right word, but you know what I mean, respond to something that is emergent because something will always emerge. That's the nature of things. And so it's the organizations who are responding, who do well. We're a research organization. We're a publishing organization. As you say, we have hundreds of references and case studies and stories in our library. We publish books. We have a magazine, all that kind of thing. I think some of my favorite don't even come out of IT. One of my favorite is actually a factory in India in around the 1970s in a period of religious unrest, like roads were closed. The owners of this factory basically stayed home. They couldn't get to the factory. Now they all lived in the main town. All the workers of the factory lived near the factory, next door to the factory, because that's obviously cheap. Now, several weeks later, when the, when the borders, sorry, when the roads opened up again and these managers and owners of the factory could finally get back in, they just assumed that no one would have gone to work. And so they were just expecting to go in there and just restart everything. No, those workers had continued going to work. They had done in those couple of weeks a better job of running the factory themselves than the managers had been doing. And so the owners being somewhat open to new ideas basically said, well, that's it. Let's create a self-managed factory. We don't need all of this overhead. Let's get people to take ownership and accountability. And this is a, and there's some, what they've done over the last 30 years in terms of innovating new products and new ideas. There are paper, a pulp paper processing factory. Try saying that five times fast. But they've moved into recycled papers and they've done some amazing things in the last like 30 years, all because of this emergent challenge and the realization that people could take ownership and autonomy of their own work. And this is back in the seventies. And it's not a hint of 
agile or scrum in this, but it is a story of individuals and interactions over processes and tools. It is a story of letting, of embracing change and seizing emergent opportunities. And that's one of the principles, one of the hearts of business agility. I could go on for, I could fill the entire hour with many different stories, but I might just pause there. Oh, no, that's fantastic. And I love the way that example, like you say, doesn't really mention any to do with the formal agile that we know it as today, which actually brings me to a question that I have been pondering over for a while, and it's just come to me now again. What I see in the agile community, or at least on social media, it, it's unfortunate, but I see a, a lot of toxic culture. If I, for example, if I put a post out there today, let, we could even do this as an experiment one day. And I put a post out there with, and I'm going to pick on safe because safe seems to be picked on a lot. And I say, I love safe. We've been running safe for the last few months and we're getting so many benefits. It's a brilliant framework. Now, without me even doing that post, I can second guess the sort of responses I'm going to get. And I'll probably get some pelters, I'm pretty sure. So in your view, and you've been in the industry a long time, Evan, are you happy in the direction that the community is heading as people and relationships? Or do you think there's something that is going wrong there? Hi, folks. Sorry for the quick interruption. But before we continue with this awesome episode, I have a huge favor to ask. If you're enjoying these conversations and you're finding it's giving you value in your daily challenges, then I'd be extremely grateful if you could leave a short review and subscribe to whichever platform you're either watching or listening to this episode on. That's it. Let's get back into the episode. Those are very good questions. And so I'm going to, I'm going to answer the direct question and then I'm going to address, I think, the elephant in the room. So very directly, I don't think there's anything wrong per se. As you said, I've been in this community for a while. So I remember the Scrum versus XP wars, right? And that kind of blew over. But I also believe that you have to earn the right to exist. And so ideas just like objects people live and at some point they will die but nothing dies without a trace the ripples will have on everything that comes after we may not call it agile with a capital a but it will grow out of uh, the, the phoenix will rise from the ashes now, I'm not saying Agile's dead, and I'm not saying that it's dying. I think there is definitely a lot in this community and in the work that's being done, still a lot of good left to give. But at some point it will, and that will be okay, because that's what happens. It will go the same way as scientific management or requisite organizations. Uh, ideas which were powerful and influential and then gave way to new ideas with new names. It's just life. But I'm going to address the, so the bigger elephants in the room, and that is, I think, human nature. Unfortunately, humans have a tendency to form tribes. And I don't mean Spotify tribes, like the way in which like, 
communities and villages form where this us versus them, uh, sporting teams, right? and we see this in politics. American politics is particularly, and neither is American, so, so we can say this, but from the outside, they are particularly toxic. And it does feel that it's like a sporting team. It's, I may not like the captain of my sporting team, but they're my sporting team. So I'm going to barrack for them no matter what. And I'm just going to hope that the captain gets replaced at some point. I can insult my sporting team, but no one else can. And politics has seemed to turn into this toxic us versus them, even more so than it has been like 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's always been toxic, but more so. Now, I think that's very much as communities get larger, right? as tribes get larger, you get this almost natural schisms that occur. And it is a very human thing for those schisms to occur. And I, some people will root for the underdog. It's why, as you, you mentioned the scale that job framework, right? It's got a very slick marketing machine and people, some people do not like slick marketing machines. And so it's their, their anti this because it's, it doesn't speak to them. It feels other. It feels like something different, something wrong. It doesn't smell like my agile. So therefore it's wrong. And so we get a we get this hostility that emerges between the tribes, between the community. Now, the sad fact is that fights amongst ourselves and lose sight of the bigger challenges around us. And let's face it, the world right now needs an agile mindset. And if we could just get our act together and actually work as one, that would be great. But that's not human nature. Human nature is literally forms schisms and it fights it doesn't matter whether it's we're talking religion or politics or work systems <laughs> we all do it and we will always do it and if we if we pretend that oh if only people would listen to me if only we would get along well, the world would be better then you're forgetting literally twenty thousand years of human history when we associate ourselves with a label then we do become quite protective of that. And it is human nature to then, I think, almost behave irrationally. Like, you know, we see some of these football fans that on a day-to-day -day basis say, oh, Evan's a lovely guy. He's such a nice, you know, well-mannered person, but get him into a football stadium <laughs> and he's an animal, <laughs> which I don't know. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. It's just going on to measuring business agility because the question i often get as well from people is to say how do we know we're going in the right direction and we're on a path to success is there a way that people can measure their level of business agility there's a couple of key principles at play so the first is that agility is not a state it's not a thing that you have it's like tea or coffee if you prefer but let's take tea there's no magic point where water becomes tea. Rather, there you add the tea leaves in, some heat and some motion. The only choice you have is how strong you want that tea. And so the same is true of agility. It's, there's no magic point an organization is agile. 
rather weak or strong. That's your choice. Simultaneously, the second principle I should say is that in an organization, you've got high and low agility, strong and weak agility simultaneously, which means that the lived experience of any one person inside that organization is not and can never be representative of the entire organization. So you could turn around and say, hey, this is a very agile organization. And another person could go, hang on a sec. No, it's not. It's a bureaucratic nightmare. And both people are correct. And so measuring an organization, measuring agility is something that is, is challenging. Third principle that there are no practices for business. Oh, sorry. There are thousands of practices for business agility. There's no one way of achieving it. And the only way, which is the fourth principle, is that the only way to achieve agility is to act with agility or to invert that. If you act with agility, you have agility. So the way that, again, because we're a research organization, one of the things we do need to do is be able to measure things. So we do need to be able to measure organizations. And so what we do is we measure observable behaviors, not practices. I don't care what you're doing. I care, are you acting with agility? And so we can, we model organizations, we profile organizations, we look at those behaviors, we look at the systems in the organizations and whether they support that. And if they do, fantastic. Again, I'm not saying you have agility or not or don't because I can't, but we can say that the dominant weight, the momentum of agility is going forward. It is getting stronger. Or perhaps it's getting weaker. Like maybe there's a little bit more water being added to that tea and the tea leaves have been taken out or maybe you just didn't put enough tea leaves in the first place. So it can be measured through observable behaviors, not from specific practices. And you can't measure whether you have it. You can only measure what we call the shape of agility. Right? The Where is the dominant movement, momentum? Is it moving forward or backwards? And where in the organization do you have those strong pockets? And where in the organization do you have those weaker pockets? And how do they influence each other? What's that shape? And so for us, that's how you measure. It's not easy, unfortunately. But again, we're a research organization, so we specialize in not easy. Got it. And is there some downloads or areas on the website that people can go to find out more about the measurement side that you mentioned there? So absolutely. So if you go to our website, businessagility.institute, and yes, .institute is a top-level domain, which we discovered. And unfortunately, it's probably the hardest top-level domain to spell. We've been in existence for five years, and I still forget how many I's and T's are in Institute. But businessagility.institute, um, and if you go to the domains of business agility, you will see our capability model as well as the behavioral model under, that underpins that. And you'll be able to see what are those behaviors that we're measuring. And feel free to reach out if you want any more information about anything to do with business agility, what we do. <laughs> Fantastic. And so going on to some practical tips, I'm just imagining someone out there who's either starting that journey into agile or they've been doing agile transformation for a while and they're really struggling as an organization, what would be your two or three big learning points? What are those things that they should either watch out for or they could 
think of focusing on to get back onto the path of success? Oh, that's a very good question. So again, we're talking behaviors. I talk about levers of change. And so these are the things that will influence an organization towards agility. And the key to behavioral change is to find a simple lever that has exponential or cascading impact. One of those, or one of my favorites is how people are measured. And there's an old saying, you get the behavior that you measure, or in fact, actually another saying, which I prefer, this is from W. Edwards Deming back in the eighties. He said, if you give someone a measurable target, they will destroy the company in order to achieve it. And it's true. And most measures in companies today, think about your own KPIs. They incentivize a particular set of behaviors and those behaviors are rarely agile behaviors. Those behaviors are how many widgets can you sell this quarter kind of behaviors, which I have, and this is not an exaggeration. I've worked in large consulting firms and I have seen salespeople go to their clients and say, if you sign today, I'll knock a million dollars off the deal. Now, not because they're trying to get them a discount, but because it's the end of the quarter. And if you sign today, I get my bonus because that's, it's the end of the quarter. You sign tomorrow, it's the new quarter. That doesn't help me. And so those short-term measures create short-term non-agile behaviors for the most part. Most organizations incentivize financial measures and not customer impact measures, not how well are we serving our customers. Again, here in Australia, we had a royal commission into the banking sector. I know bankers don't have a good reputation in general, but in Australia, that was well earned because in that royal commission, what emerged were the worst, the worst abuses that people who are theoretically in charge of your money could do. And it all boiled down to, I'm simplifying a lot here, but it mostly boiled down to how those bankers were being incentivized. They were being incentivized to how many bank accounts can you open? And so if they weren't meeting their, their numbers and these numbers got tighter every year, harder to meet every year, then it's like, okay, well, well, I've got this old granny's, oh, she won't notice if I quickly open accounts and then close it tomorrow. And then that those behaviors snowballed and cascaded over 10, 15 years into a honestly toxic culture where the worst egregious things were happening. And so the, sorry, I'm off topic here. My point is, if you create measures that promote agility, that focus on customer impact, that focus on creating collaborative workforces, then you are going to start to create those behaviors or incentivize those behaviors that are necessary for agility, as opposed to the behaviors which you're currently incentivizing in most organizations. That's actually something I've often talked about where I've spoken to HR people and I say, you do not realize the impact that 
you can have on the success of your agility in your organization because of some of those policies around remuneration and bonusing and you know KPIs and all of that good stuff because you absolutely can drive a certain culture and behavior based mm-hmm. on those targets in terms of resources so if somebody wanted to know more they wanted to get a recommendation on some books etc please could you recommend some of your favorite well, obviously, I'll recommend to check out the Business Agility Institute Library. We have case studies. We have books you can download. It's for a veritable publishing house. So there's a lot of material, a lot of case studies there. In terms of books, there are some really good books out there. It just depends on the kind of topics you're interested in. I just finished rereading Sanjeev Augustine's from VMO, sorry, from PMO to VMO, which is a great book on creating a value management office out of a project management office. John Smart's Sooner Safer Happier is always a good read. There are really good books around finance and HR, Agile People from Pia Maria Thoren. All great reads. Again, depends what you're interested in. But the last one I would suggest is actually talk to other organizations. Learn what other organizations are doing. You don't have to learn from the thought leaders or the experts or the people with all of the acronyms after their name. You can learn from that. You sh- If you talk to those organizations who are trying something, learn from their mistakes, learn from what they're doing. But reach out to them because there's a lot of them out there, a lot of organizations doing some really interesting things. And you're probably going to learn more from those conversations than you will from any book or case study you might read from our library. Though, do check out our library too. Fantastic. What interesting things are you doing as an organization and what can people look out for in the near future? Oh, so much. So we're doing a couple of pieces of research at the moment. We're doing one piece of research that's exploring business schools and seeing whether MBA programs are actually teaching modern management theory or just 1980s management theory. We're doing, we recently published a paper on diversity, equity, and inclusion. um, And we'll be looking a little bit deeper into that topic when it comes to the intersect with agility, because it, there is an intersect. It's a strong one. And I don't think it's been actually looked at enough. We have things like the Business Agility Conference that's coming up in New York, which is going to be really exciting. One of the more interesting things that we did recently was just this Friday, we put together a museum. Uh, It's like a, a museum of innovation and disruption that didn't talk about agile or business agility at all, but we literally looked at topics like bitumen roads or macadam roads and the shipping container or the Haber-Bosch process, ammonia process for fertilizer. And we were looking at what were those things that had unexpected impact around the world, trying to encourage people to think about change, not just as the, if we do this, something will happen, but just what were those ripple effects that these ideas, these innovations had to create the modern world that we're in today. It's been fascinating to the research, like, like the, just the road, like it's so impact the road had is so profound and not just on transport, on everything. And like those ripples go deep and it was fascinating doing that research. So we're really enjoying building out these sort of museum exhibits, which has been a lot of fun. So we're going to keep doing that, but 
I like doing interesting and weird things. It's fun. Oh, I love that. Creative side can sometimes really be a game changer. And I think you and I were talking just before we kicked off about that museum example. And I think often when we almost have an expectation, because we've done this a few times before, we've been to conferences and we know what to expect. We're going to hear a bunch of people talk. We're going to get lots of information thrown at us. And then hopefully we'll make sense of that. And then we'll go back to the office and put upon a handful of those things. Or you, you've disrupted the conference itself there <laughs> by changing things up in such a way that I think will be that's, really memorable. That's the goal. That's the goal. And it's, I didn't want to make something that made people go, oh, that's what agile is. I wanted people to think about, well, this is what is necessary. This is what change is. Right? Change is what you don't expect. And change happens when you don't expect it. So we did, yeah, so we did those three. We did the contraceptive pill and the printing press. And we specifically focused not on the obvious impact, but what were the surprising and unexpected impacts that changed the world for each of these innovations. We have ideas for about another 15 or so exhibits. Now that that first experiment has been a success, we're going to now start building out some of these others. Oh, which is... I could spend like an hour on each of those if you're interested, but that's going to be an entirely different topic. I'm really tempted. I think we should. We'll definitely have a follow-up on on some of these topics because I'd be really interested how the road has actually impacted society in ways above and beyond what I would probably, the things that come to mind immediately. So that would be awesome. But Evan, we're running out of time now. So I would just want to thank you. I really want to thank you for your time. I was saying before this episode, you and I have chatted on LinkedIn and I've seen yours and posts and we've always chatted virtually in a platform like LinkedIn, but never really spoken like this. So I've learned a huge amount. And I have to say, I love the fact that you went throughout this episode without really mentioning a framework. Like I know you mentioned them only to make a point, but it wasn't a case of overburdening our audience with technical jargon from the world of Agile. And I think that's really testament to the work that you're doing is trying to make this much more accessible for people and really focusing on what really matters. So I really want to thank you for that and thank you for your time as well. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And, and I enjoy talking with you. So whenever chance we can get, we're going to do this again. There you have it, folks. It's the end of another insightful episode. And as always, thank you so much for sticking around to listen to this episode and for helping support me and encouraging me to create more content for you guys. If you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you'll find my email address in the show notes or equally head over to the website and click on the contact link. And I promise I will respond to every single message I receive. I'm always looking for your feedback. So if you'd like me to change things up or improve things, I would love your opinions. If there are topics that you would like us to do future episodes on, or there are other great speakers that you are aware of, then please do mention them and uh, we'll see if we can make it happen. Thank you once again. 